Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah, betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Welcome to Makers of Minnesota. I'm Stephanie Hansen, and this is the show where we talk with the people in our town that are making things happen, the movers and the shakers. And if you like what you're hearing, uh, make sure that you give us a rating either on iTunes or Podcast One or Stitcher, wherever it is that you're listening. That helps the podcast get out to more people. And you can always, of course, share our podcast on your Facebook or your Twitter account, our handles on Twitter are at Makers of MN, on Instagram, Makers of MN, and also Facebook as well. I am here today with Jennifer Cermak from Nani Nalu. And Jennifer has recorded this with me once, <laughs> which is sort of like everyone has their mistake that they make in business, right? Uh, my first mistake was I recorded a fabulous interview with Jennifer and I never hit record. So I'm sort of legend in the podcast world of Hubbard Broadcasting and Podcast One. That's not really a very professional way to get started, but uh, Jennifer was lovely enough to come back. Hi, Jennifer. Aloha. Aloha. So you are one of the favorite people that I've interviewed so far, and I get the opportunity to do it again and kind of ask you <laughs> a little uh, deja vu. Yeah, questions that I wanted to ask before and maybe thought of after the fact. So. What I love about you is you are a proprietor of a store, and the store is called Nani Nalu, and you are at, what's your exact address? It's like 52nd and France? We're on 50th and France. We're right across the street from Anthropology. Okay. And you, this is a, a, a swimsuit store. And I have to tell you, when we talked before, I was telling you about being with my sister, who's kind of, let's just say... Frugal. We won't call her cheap. We'll call her frugal. And she came to me after having a couple babies and she was going on a business trip with her husband and they were going to be with some other folks from their company. And she was like, what am I going to do about a bathing suit? Where do I go? And I said, you have to go to Nani Nalu. And she had the most incredible experience. But what's funny about her experience is it's one that you've replicated over and over. Right. Tell me what happens when someone goes into Nani Nalu, which <laughs> most people are like, oh, it's a swimsuit store. Not exactly. Right. So we're we're more known for our service than we are. I mean, we have exceptional products, but it's really about the people and the service that we have in our store. So whether you book an appointment online or you just choose to wander in off the streets or your best friend tells you to come in and ask for some help, you're going to get treated the same way. We want to actually help you find a swimsuit that you want to wear, not settle on, but want to wear. And what's more than service, because I think when you talk about customer service, people are like, oh, they're really nice to you. No, you literally, <laughs> you go into a dressing room, you talk yep. about someone looks at your body shape. We get your bra size, your pants size, how tall you are, what's your torso height, do you have kids under five, where are you going, who are you going with, what do you like to do? And then we actually pull the options for you. So you try on almost like a curated selection that's fit to your needs. And then you show us the suits on and we walk through what you like, what you don't like, what we like on you, and what we do not think you should be wearing in public. And we're honest and we'll help you through that. And you're very candid. Like when I was in the store 
I had on a bathing suit that I just was like, oh, this isn't it. And the gal that was working with me, she said, no, you have to come out of the dressing room and you have to show me because whether we like this one or not, it'll help inform the next one we put on you. Right. Because it's a visual piece. We need to see the no's almost more than we need to see the yeses because the no's help us learn what how we can do better. If we don't see what you're not liking or what's not working on your body shape, we'd, we're, we might just keep grabbing you the same thing. Right. And so being able to visually have those cues and, um, you know, kind of walk through that experience with the customer really helps. Plus, sometimes people come out and the suit's like halfway on, too. Like they didn't retie it. And so their boobs are hanging down to like the hip instead of getting tied up properly because they didn't realize there was adjustable straps. Right. Yeah. Now, when you make an appointment to go into Naninella, you make an appointment online. You did just mention that people can walk in. That's mm-hmm. kind of harder to do, though, isn't it? Because you need the time. It depends on the season. And yes, people do need to give us time. Um, we're about 50-50 appointments, 50% walk-ins. Okay. Uh, so the biggest thing is if you do decide to walk in, give yourself at least an hour. On average, people do spend an hour and a half with us. So it's a lengthy process. But... It's a process most people do once every three years, not, you know, every three months right. sort of thing. So it's and, an investment. And my sister said, too, she was like, well, the suit was more than I would have wanted to spend because normally she'd buy a suit at Target or something like that. But she said, I know I'll have this suit for at least two to four years. It's fashionable. It's cute. The suit you picked for her, too, because I just saw her again this weekend. She got two suits from you. was like a suit she would have never picked in a million years. And it looked great. It was a two-piece. It had like crocheted cutouts kind of on the hip, which mm-hmm. felt sort of risque, but the there was full coverage. I mean, right. the, it actually came up kind of high on her belly in comparison to some of the other suits. But because of the cutouts on the side, it was real sexy looking. Right. But, you know, she's got kids. We were on a jet ski. We were playing with her kids. She wasn't falling out. It was a great suit. And we're, we kind of toe that line really professionally, I feel, where we can get into the sexy stuff, but I always call it, it needs to be sophisticated sexy. Right. Like, we're, we're not a different type of store. It, it's got to be sophisticated sexy in order for it to work for our clientele and work for the needs that, I guess, are the women that shop with us have. Because we are moms. We, we are active at lakes and places. Yeah. And I think when you look at, okay, let's, bathing suit shopping is personally, I don't know, the, the worst, worst experience in the world. Right. So let's go back to you're a young woman. You you weren't very old when you started, when you opened the store. I was a baby. How old were you? I was like 22. Okay. So how is it that you are laying in bed one night, you're a 22-year-old woman, you have some work experience, but you're like, I need to open my own business. I need to open my own store in swimwear <laughs> of all things in the state of Minnesota. Well, um, I had just moved back to Minnesota after getting married and- I was having like this problem with authority in corporate worlds where I had the experience to be a regional or um, like a district manager of stores and multi-unit sort of type of job. Because you work in retail? Yeah. And I worked my way up and I was fairly good at it. But I also didn't like someone telling me what to do. So it became kind of an issue where I was not enjoying the day to day and I didn't want to be a store manager, but I also didn't do well with the corporate environment. And me and my husband were going on our honeymoon and I needed a handful of swimsuits. And after living in Florida for a spell, I 
had a different appreciation of swimwear and what that meant to me for my vacation mm-hmm. than I think a lot of people have. And so I tried to find this swimsuit at the Mall of America, and I went to every possible store that had swimwear there, and I ended up sitting in a department store fitting room in tears. And at the time, I was like, I was in my 20s, so I was, you know. Hot bod. Right. Yeah. I was like a size two. I still had like massive, you know, You're a trusty gal. Yes, I'm blessed in that area. (laughs) And so, like, the only thing I ended up finding was, like, a black bikini with, like, the hibiscus Hawaiian neon floral patterns that you see, like, you know, your grandma wear. Right. And I had to buy a size 16 for my cup and a size, like, 2 for the pant. And so I was going to have to invest a lot of money in two suits just to get one suit because, you know, they were sold as sets. And I remember just sitting there being like, I'm cuter than this. And I didn't want to do it. It was my honeymoon. So I had a diva moment and I flew back to Florida, like the next plane out of (laughs) Minneapolis and went swimsuit shopping down there, came back and went on my honeymoon with my husband. And he was like, "Okay, you look more confident than everybody else because everyone else has their hands on their bodies adjusting things. Yeah. Pulling down the wrong Tucking it back in or it's too big. So they were constantly pulling it up. And he's like, is there a business here? And I was like, oh, God, yes, please. And so I had to write him. I think it was like a 26 page business plan and get his buy in. Sure. Because you're a couple and whatever. When you invest in a business. It's a family business. It's a family really. business. Yep. And so he looks at this business plan and how old was he? Like what kind of experience did he have that you were trusting him to be like, Yeah, it's a go. He's four years older than me, so he wasn't that much older. He was twenty five at the time. And he's kind of logical smart mm-hmm. where I am like creative dreamer smart. Right. So we're actually a really good business team. Makes wonderful, like, family arguments, but we're a good business team in the sense that we have opposing sides and we will argue our way to the middle. Okay. So you decide, hey, I'm going to start this out. How much money did it take you to start out? Like, did you have a nest egg? Luckily, he did. Um, He had been saving up money since he was 18 to someday start his own business. Wow. So he gave you his startup seed money. Mm -hmm. And then I worked for a year And during that time where we were putting together what our business was going to be, all the money that I was making in my job went towards our future business. And how much do you think it cost you for the startup the first year? About 80000 Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're really putting everything on the line as a young woman. Your husband is investing in you. You're investing in this family business. And I just find it so fascinating that you decided... I'm going to go and do this better than everybody else. You did a totally different business model. It wasn't just a retail store. Mm-hmm. It was appointment only. You were pretty aggressive. And I remember reading your website, like, you have to make an appointment. You have to do it our way. This is the way. <laughs> and I was like, wow, look at this. And I did it that way. And I had such a good experience. We're sailors. We've sailed all over. And I have... You're in a bathing suit literally 24-7 from the time you get up to the time you go to bed. And I've always felt very confident in my suits. So you first year, like, success? The first year we ended up breaking even. We had opened up at Ridgedale Center in um, Minnetonka, and we had a good first year for not doing much. We didn't really do any, like, paid advertising or anything. We just kind of opened the doors and 
let it kind of happen. Can I ask you about that? Because a mm-hmm. lot of businesses start out and they don't have a marketing plan because they don't have any more money they've run out. Right. Was that the reason why you didn't do a lot or were you more strategic about it? It was more we wanted to figure out who was going to walk in and how best to reach them. And we didn't know that until we Got were it. open. Okay. And so it was a little more strategic. We wanted to play it safe and make sure the money was there. And we're happy we did that because, unfortunately, Ridgedale had planned years before their big renovation with Nordstrom's to renovate with Nordstrom's over there. And um, a year into our lease, they decided not to renew it and force us to move after our build out and everything within Ridgedale. Is that common that you would, I mean, you've only been there a year, you've invested money into your space. Does the, in that situation with retail, does the landlord of the mall have all the say? Yes and no. You can write in provisions of your lease as such as we have now learned. Yeah. Um, but starting out, we had no help with that first lease. And, and what a I big will lesson. say it was a huge lesson because it did cost us a lot of money in regards to just moving the actual space. It also cost us a lot of customers, a whole year of our business, because here we were open and now we had to take the money we had saved up for year two advertising and put it into a build out. And then we had no money for advertising. Right. And so it was kind of like a double whammy because everybody thought we were at Ridgedale and then we went there and the mall said, you can't put up signs that you're moving. You can only put up signs that you're closing. So we put up no signs hoping like they at least wouldn't think we closed, but then we weren't there and your guest services and stuff would say, no, they closed. So people are still finding us at 50th in France like, oh, my God, I thought you closed. It's like, nope, we've now been here 10 years. Wow. So, okay, you close in Ridgedale because you couldn't find a space there that you liked, I'm assuming. We couldn't negotiate a good lease with them. Okay, so now you're at 50th in France. You're in year two. Mm -hmm. And you have to basically start the entire thing over. All over. Yep, starting from scratch, okay. new beginning all over. It was nice because we were able to reinvent what we didn't like about ourselves. And sure. that was fantastic. So we kind of grew up from Ridgedale to more of a boutique store, which was a better environment for us. But it was hard because we lost money that year. And so lesson number one, be careful about your lease. Yes. And you, there were things, do you think if you would have had like a better lawyer or someone that would have... Like, how could that have been prevented? I think a lot of people don't trust their ability to possibly succeed. And looking back at why we didn't go after a longer-term lease, it was really because it was an untested concept. You can write in provisions of renewals and things like that. We didn't know that back then. So our less, you know, we would always recommend someone else, like, go in there with If you want a one-year temp with an option for a three-year renewal or something to at least get that five-year term. And now at our point, we won't accept anything less than 15 years. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here. Check out my brand new podcast, Two Week Notice, where we discuss the process of quitting your job and living a more fulfilling life. I want you living the dream. Find Two Week Notice on my website, jaredsebesta.com, or subscribe on iTunes today. Okay. So now you're in year two. You're still trying to make the business succeed. Was, I mean, you must have had some scary times there. Were you ever wondering, like, could I not make payroll or? We had actually looked at filing 
bankruptcy at one point and just saying, hey, you know what? We're young. It didn't work. No big deal. Like, I'll work on my anger management and go back to the corporate world. (laughs) And I just I wasn't it wasn't something I was very comfortable with. And not because I didn't think I could transition back into a regular you know, role, but because I didn't feel I was done with Nani Nalu. And so I was like, well, okay, let's get rid of all of our employees. It will just be me. I'll be in here seven days a week, open to close every day, and then give me six more months. And that's we ran our business that way for six more months where it was just me doing everything. And that's when we got noticed. And Sarah Glassman wrote about us in the newspaper. For the and, Star Tribune. And the next yep. day, like... It broke down our website. It, our phones had like 60 messages. My husband, poor husband, had to like listen to all the messages and like create a spreadsheet so I could get back to people. And from that day forward, we've been growing double judges ever since. Wow, that's so amazing. And at, you're doing that for the six months and you're alone. And are you saying to yourself, I got this? Are you saying, holy crap, I'm going to fail? What are you like? What was your internal monologue? It was more like, what do I need to do to get noticed? Because I believed in our concept and our, like, the the foundation of, like, what Nani Nalu is. I believed that that could help people and there was a place for it in the market. But I didn't know how to spread the word without throwing a bunch of cash at it. Yep. And I didn't think that would be good. It's not something you can advertise with pictures because I don't want to look at a picture of a size 2 perfect supermodel in a suit that's not going to look that way on me. Right. It's a... That's almost a disservice to what we actually do. And so we had a really hard time trying to figure out how to get it out. And by luck, a few good people came in, told Sarah of the amazing experience they had. And it was something of interest to her to write about that she came in and and wrote about what we do and how we do it. It's really surprising to me that more people don't have this model. So you've got bathing suits. Did you at some point think like, because the other horrible experience is jeans, like putting jeans into the mix or opening a jean store with this same highly personalized, curated I concept? I think about that all the time. I have it I have it like half built out in my head too. I have the name. I have what brands we would carry. I have the interior of what the store is going to look yep. like. So someday when I'm either really, really bored or... Or I win the lottery, that will be my next door. Or if there's a good investor out there that wants to do that. Okay, because (laughs) I'm thinking like for swimwear, you know, you probably only buy swimsuits once a year, maybe once every couple of years. You know, jeans you buy like all the time. Yeah. And then you could pair it. How about accessories? Are you doing the same kind of fitting with accessories like the cover-ups? and? Yeah, we'll help style. It's almost like we're personal shoppers for you, but it's free. So yep. you don't have to like pay for us to come. You just come to our store and we're your personal shoppers within the store. But we do treat every customer like that. Like we, we'll wardrobe you as much as you let us. We'll play. It's fun for us. And it's fun to get to put people in things that might look fantastic on you but horrid on me and yet I wish I could wear that so I'm going to get really excited when it looks really good on you. So let's talk about the maker's piece of this because what I find so interesting is you know you're just a very gutsy woman. I'm just gonna you're one of the gutsiest women I know and so you start this business you almost lose your shirt you recover you keep it going and then is as if that's not enough, you're like, you know what? I need to design my own swimwear called right. Genesee. So you started. Let's try to bankrupt that. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and 
I mean, I just had a meeting with someone today that wants to start a clothing line of something and, you know, they want a custom design and it's, we were just talking about the expense of custom designing things. So you're buying swimsuits and you see a hole in the market. Tell me about creating Genesee. So we were experiencing this really difficult task of finding fashion forward and youthful options for the D through G cup market and being in. And is the average woman a C cup? It's actually a 34 double D. Okay. That's the average woman. Mm -hmm. So it's so odd that you wouldn't have an abundance of suits for that size. Two reasons. Majority of swimwear comes off of the U.S. So it's made, you know, Brazil, Colombia, Spain, France, and their cup size coverage are better way to say that the amount that they're willing to coverage is less than what we actually want to cover here. And then the swimsuit industry is kind of controlled by a lot of men. Okay. (laughs) So they think we're all a B cup, even though we're not. I don't quite understand the concept of, no, I need a wire with mesh paneling and a petticoat bra and the support and a molded cup and adjustable straps, please. And minimum. (laughs) A minimum. (laughs) So you did. how do you start out designing swimwear? What did you do? So I actually started out by taking a bunch of suits that I had settled on over the years. And I started to sketch like, okay, this is the most comfortable, um, you know, paneling that I have in the interior cup. This is the best wire. This is the best shape or scoop across the bus. This is the strap that I like. This is the thickness of it. And I started taking everything I loved about all these suits and putting it together. And then I took that CAD drawing and I sent it off and had a sample made. And we just started tweaking it and working on it. And we probably worked on it for about two years before I had a sample in my hands that I was like, okay, I would wear this. Like and me this personally. is, did you teach yourself how to do CAD? Yeah, I like Googled Illustrator and like learned how to do illustrator (laughs) okay well that's impressive so how now i do all my own graphic design it's kind of fun (laughs) were you doing one one type of design to to start start? with we did um one bikini top and one tankini top and that's kind of what we started with okay and so then you take that and you build a design form and what how much does something like that cost about Three to eight thousand dollars per design. Okay. So we were in the higher range of that in the beginning because we were shipping back and forth to Colombia. In hindsight, I should have just went to Colombia, but um, lesson learned. And yep. next time I need a new silhouette, that's what we'll do. So it can add up really fast in customs cost. So you have this custom swimwear line that you make. And then I'm assuming you have to source material. And did you go to China for manufacturing? How did all that work? So I had a blend of material that was very specific to what I wanted to find. And I hired, um, through my manufacturer, I hired a rep that they had to find me this specific blend. And I I'm, like I wouldn't settle on anything else. They tried to get me to settle on hundreds of different fabrics that would have been more cost productive and, you know, probably easier to work with, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't have had the the shaping technology that I really wanted to have. So like my material actually kind of bounces back and retains a lot of strength. Mm-hmm. So as you stretch it out, let's say you're a G cup and you stretch it out and then you lose some weight and now you're like an E cup. Well, I didn't want it to end up being baggy. I wanted you to continue to be able to wear this piece. Right. And that's what my material allows. You can also wear it when you're nine months pregnant and then 
three weeks later after you've had the baby and it looks like the belly's never stretched in your suit. Okay. So you decide, hey, I'm going to design these suits. So, I mean, you had to invest, I'm thinking, at least 50 grand to get that started. About $120,000 in our oh, first collection. That much. Mm-hmm. And your first collection was a tankini, a bikini top, and then I'm assuming a couple of bottoms. And th- yep. Two bottoms, two tops, and three different prints. Okay. So you do a catalog, you sell this in your own store. Mm-hmm. Did you go and sell it then to other manufacturers or how did that We tried work? to sell it to other retailers. We were in five um, brick and mortar stores and it was an interesting learning lesson there too because nowadays your larger boutique stores expect long terms mm-hmm. like, you know, net 90, net 120 in order to get, you know, for them to pay you. And unfortunately, one of the accounts that bought a lot of us ended up filing for bankruptcy and they didn't pay anybody that they owed money to. And it was a big talk within, you know, the swimwear industry community because everyone knew it was going on once it happened. And there was about 50 of us wholesalers that were in their store that, you know, had to file petitions and try to find out how to get money. And them. you're the little guy of the group. And I'm, I'm the little assuming. guy of the group. Did you ever get paid? No, I did not. Okay. Um, in a bankruptcy situation, they kind of take the rank. And if you're at the bottom mm-hmm. of the barrel, you usually don't bottom. get. So you are you still in other retail stores then or are you just no. selling in your own location? <laughs> now I'm just selling in our own locations. And after that experience, I realized it was essentially another full-time job to represent your own line and to get it out there and manage the accounts and really put it in the place it needs to be in other people's eyes. And I was like, why do I need to do this when I have built the perfect foundation for a great brand? And it is our number two best-selling brand in the stores. I was just going to ask, yeah, yeah. was it in the end worthwhile all the money spent because it's your number two brand? So... I'm assuming that there's more profit margin for you. A little. Because of our material, yep. we don't mark it up too much more because we want it to be semi-affordable. Yep. And there, there's a struggle there. I, if I went and I manufactured in China, I could probably get it half the cost. But I, I like the free trade agreement with Colombia. It's as close to home as I can get with still having the quality that I want to have yep. manufacturing. That means something to me. And so you have Genesee now in the store. It's the number two selling brand. You're at 50th in France. And I'm assuming do you sell online too? We do not. Is there a reason why you didn't venture into the online world? Because people do not know what size they actually are. And I don't want to deal with returns. Okay. And that's a really (laughs) conscious decision because you would be returning, I would assume, just a massive amount. In swimwear, about 80% of your sales end up returned at least once. Yeah, I buy 10 swimsuits if I'm going to buy online mm-hmm. and try them on and end the up sending nine and a half back. cost on your credit card fees back and forth, it's it's ridiculous. And we already have the cost of brick and mortar that I didn't want to try to figure out how or where to add in those extra costs, the time, the employees, the tracking. No, that's what about organization. Ex- what about expanding in the marketplace? So we want to do brick and mortar expansion. We'd like to get to eight to 10 stores within the next five years. And you've opened one at this point. We did um, a year and a half ago, last, well, two Novembers ago now. Um, we opened in Kansas City, Missouri at the Country Club Plaza. Now, 
because you're such a face of the business and you have so many standards about control and quality, it had to feel really strange to allow someone else to birth a baby for you in Kansas City. Yes, especially because I got really sick right during our build-out. We were just about two weeks from finishing our build-out, and I was bedridden. I couldn't get up. I couldn't do anything. And I came back home and still couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And so the entire store opened without without me. My My poor manager had to step up and take charge and kind of hustle through it. Did that end up to be a learning experience in some ways? I mean, I was someone who got sick as well. And all of a sudden, everything you think is important just kind of falls away because all you can deal with is just your health and yourself. Yes and no. I learned that I need to work on my patience (laughs) and kind of being able to take those moments and separate like the anxiety that I have that's just part of who I am from like the reality and the anxiety I really should be applying in the real life situation not Jen's like made up dream world situation so there was a little bit of learning there it was a great learning lesson for my my store manager Mm -hmm. at the time and she's at um, now my corporate manager and handles everything for me and she got to kind of dig her feet in and realize what she liked doing And now we've been able to cultivate that into a really good role that allows me not to work as much. And your plan is to open, you know, three to five more stores here, or Mm -hmm. I guess it would be three to 10. Right. um, In the next three years? Three to five years. Okay. Um, Do you have like a training program? So many business owners have a hard time scaling up because they don't, aren't able to document the magic that is them. Do you think about that? Or we have how... a fully written training manual, operations manual, and onboarding manual for openings, as well as a grand opening manual for every detail of the store, where I buy it, how much I should pay for it, what I shouldn't pay for it, who to contact, who can install it, everything we've detailed. And you've put all that together. So mm-hmm. did you ever think about like franchising or? Yes. Yeah, because it sounds like that's a franchise. We kind of did it that way just in case we wanted to franchise. Um, We've been approached a lot about franchising, and we're still interested in pursuing that idea, but we're also, that's such a long process Mm -hmm. to franchise for the type of concept we are, that in the meantime, we're just going after opening our own, and I'll feel better about it if we do decide to franchise because we'll already have the ground kind of built to stand on instead of like, yeah, I did really well in this one shop. Good luck down there. Yeah. I didn't want to do that to someone. And the economies of scale, if you have 10 stores versus one, is there more profit margin for you at the end of the day? Yes. Um, And like franchise, maybe the franchise model is this curated custom fit package as much as it is the clothing. Does that make sense to you? Correct. It would be, and that was really hard to kind of figure out like, if we were going to franchise, what would that structure look like? And it would be two parts. You would kind of buy this core package that, you know, here's everything for products that we would want each and every single store across the country to have. Yep. And here's, you know, everything for your service and your um, personnel that we would require you to have and train on. And then you here's exactly what your store needs to look like and how it needs to operate. And from there, you can deviate a little bit because the whole thing thing about franchising is someone wants to own something of their own, Mm -hmm. but 
you also can't let them put their own spin on something either. So yep. it's really a tricky situation where we kind of said, eh, in the meantime, we're going to open up our own stores. We're going to prove the success of this really, really well. Mm-hmm. And then we'll either have an investor that wants to open up 20 more stores on top of the 10 we already have, or we'll have you know a, a great base for franchising. How did you know you'd made it? Hmm. The day I was able to pay myself my first paycheck. <laughs> and how long did you wait? Six years. <laughs> really? Yeah. Unfortunately, with growth, when that article came out and we started to grow, um, growth requires reinvestment. Yeah. And reinvestment, that that's cash. That's cash and time. And the the more you grow, the more money you need in order to support the growth. And it becomes a really tricky game. Because we grew so fast that all of a sudden we went from spending, you know, $1,000 with a vendor to spending like $15,000 with a vendor to spending $150,000 with a vendor. And some of our product has to be paid up front. Some of our products on terms, some of our, you know, it's Mm -hmm. all different. And we had to have the cash in order to manage all that. And that was difficult. Then we had to move to a bigger space to accommodate the traffic we were having. That cost a lot of money. Mm Mm-hmm. So can you remember exactly the day that you cashed your first check? Yes, I bought like a $80 bottle of wine and I went home and I drank the whole thing. <laughs> My husband was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I'm happy right now. Go away. <laughs> How much did you pay yourself your first check? <laughs> that was really sad. Um, I paid myself $2,000. It's not sad. I think it's real, mm-hmm. real. That's why I asked the yep. question because, you know, people I think have this perception of like, oh, you own We're your own business. Yeah, yeah you no. make so much money or you're... You, you, you're so in control of your own schedule, your own life. In some ways, I never worked harder than when I worked for myself. Correct. I feel the same way. I still drive like a Highlander. Yep. You know, it's, I, I'm not in the Porsche world yet. Yep. And um, <laughs> we, we manage the luxuries that we do get to have with, you know, I, I was able to spend all morning home this afternoon playing Frozen with my two daughters and, you know, kind of taking yeah, my you time. Had two kids and, all the way along right. this journey as well. Right. So that's where I think the payment really comes in for me is having that flexibility a little bit more. I will say that. But I'm also on call. I travel a lot for the stores. I travel a lot for scouting now. And that does take a toll on the family. And, you know, my corporate manager still to this day makes more than I do yeah. on a paycheck. And to pay... To have employees that can run things when you're not there, you have to pay top you have dollar. To pay. And they're worth and it's it. worth it. Yeah. Every penny. All right. So people can find you at 50th in France. It's Naninalu, N-A-N-I-N-A-L-U, Naninalu.com. Also, Genesee, J-E-N-N-A-S-E-A.com. And your Genesee brand is for, did we say D to? D through G. D through G. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so people can find that at the store and also online. Your lookbooks are always real cute. Yep. You guys do a great job with that. Thank you so much for coming in. If you were going to just leave, I like I said, I was just meeting with a woman today. She's got a retail brand that she wants to do in her mind. She wants to um, brand some clothing. Any, so hard. <laughs> I, th- I think it really is. So would you do it again if you had the chance to start all over and do it again? Would you? If you have the money where you're comfortable investing in it and losing the money and you can say, okay, I tried it. I lost this. I can rebuild it. I'll go back to work. It's not going to ruin me. Then it's worth the risk. If you're the type of person where that if you fail, it's going to actually be a failure for you, 
then I would not recommend doing it because the chance of that, it's so much. And do you think it comes down to math? Yeah. And a business plan. And do you think 150,000 is probably the realistic number if you're going to do it? It depends on what you want to do. If you want to try to get into actual stores and get your product out there, then yes, you actually have to manufacture real product, not just a sample collection, but a whole entire line and you keep it in your basement and you sell it as as piece by piece by piece. And you got to hustle to make it happen. But if you just do onesie, twosie things and put it down a runway and call yourself a real designer, that doesn't work for me. You you need to, if you can't be willing to invest in an entire collection that you can stand behind that you think is sellable, then I don't think a buyer is going to invest in it That's either. good advice, yeah, that you kind of have to put your money where your mouth is in order for them to take you seriously. Yep. All right. I've been talking with Jennifer Cermak from Naninalu in Genesee. Thank you for being on Makers of Minnesota. It's always fun to hear stories. Uh, Like I said, you're one of the gutsiest women I know. So I'm really thrilled for you that you've been able to see success and that after you've been doing this now, is it 12 years? Yeah, just about. Yeah. I work on that jean shop. (laughs) The jean shop. Everyone asks me every day, all day long, all year long. I get emails about it. Can't you please sell denim? Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think it's maybe something we can discuss down the road. (laughs) Thank you.